0: Well, it was uh, just another romantic date night for my wife and I, which meant Lowe's instead of Target, uh, walking up and down the aisles, discussing how many light bulbs we needed to replace and things like that. We're, we're getting ready to check out when I get a phone call from one of my girls. I have three teenage daughters, and, and if I get a phone call from them, there's a, there's a problem. Like, they don't use the phone to make actual phone calls. It's texting. It's all texting. And so when the phone rings and I see it's one of them, I pick up. They either need something or something's gone wrong. And so I answer the phone and and one of my girls is telling me that uh, there's a fire at the house. Not like a metaphorical fire, but like a literal fire. And so I, I'm listening, trying to figure out what's going on. There's some intensity in the conversation. Where's the fire at? And and I learned that the fire is in the dumpster, which is good. I'd rented this dumpster a few days earlier uh, to clean out the garage, to, to throw away a bunch of junk, and the fire was in the dumpster. I thought, well, that's, that's in the dumpster. It's all right. Not that big of a deal. Uh, but we get in the car. We start to head home when they text us this picture. <laughs> yeah, I know. So... I start going a little bit faster. We're miles away from the house and I can I can see the smoke. Uh and we get there, by the time we get there, there's a lot of smoke. But for the most part the the fire's been contained, meaning everything in the dumpster is burnt, nothing left to burn. And I'm trying to figure out what caused the fire. Right? it wasn't just this um random fire that started. There's it wasn't just the spontaneous Combustion something must have caused it and at first I thought well, maybe it was something I put in there because I, re- I remembered I'd put some fireworks in there because they were from last year Just some little ones that didn't get used and I didn't want to use them this year So I I threw some fireworks away, but then I thought, that's you have to light the fireworks. I mean, they worked fine, but but you have to light them. You have to get them started. So, what caused the spark that started this fire? And I started to talk to some of my my younger kids about you know what what might have caused said fire. And that's when my my oldest, uh, my very responsible eighteen year old daughter, uh, came home. She had heard about the fire, and she was ready to give me some information. Apparently, she explained that she and, and her uh, Boyfriend were out uh, shooting. They were out shooting exploding targets with a rifle. Like if you don't know what exploding targets are, those are targets that explode when you shoot them. And um, it sounded a little bit sketchy shooting exploding targets, but but you know that's that is my my daughter. My daughter. Um, it's not it's not an accident, right? That. Um, She likes to go mudding and listen to country music and likes to shoot exploding targets and happens to look just like my wife, right? Like, I'm not... Whatever is in her that caused her to shoot exploding targets and start that fire, that didn't come from me. That's like a combination of my wife's DNA and growing up in Kentucky. It's not... It is not my fault. And I knew that. And so she starts to tell me that they were shooting these exploding targets and they thought that... You know, that they had burnt down, that there was no spark left to them, so they threw them in the dumpster, threw them away before they, before they left, and apparently it's that spark that caused this huge fire, created such a blaze, that it just takes a little spark, and that's all it takes. It wasn't intentional, she didn't do it on purpose, but a little spark can, can cause a fire like that. We've been seeing that in the news in the last few weeks in Southern California, uh, there has been some, pretty strong wildfires, and the area where these wildfires have been spreading is where we used to live before moving here. And so I see some of those images on TV and recognize some of them. More than 38,000 acres have been burned. There are more than 3,000 firefighters that have been battling the blaze. More than 10,000 homes had to be evacuated. I started reading a little bit about how they investigate these fires, and the first thing investigators will do is they, they focus, of course, on the fire's origin. They want to know exactly where it started. And, and shockingly, I mean, they can pinpoint the exact location of where this fire started and typically what caused it. And they'll study satellite images. Um, they will pay attention to fire patterns, things like which way the grass lays down, because the grass lays towards the origin of the fire, kind of pointing to where it started. And, and then they try to figure out what caused it once they identify the origin. About 90% of wildfires are ca- caused by human influence, not by lightning or some natural cause. About 90% of them happen because of um, a campfire that was left unattended, or maybe someone is burning debris, or they, they dis- someone discarded a, a cigarette carelessly, or it was an act of arson. In the case of this fire, if it's arson, uh, then a charge of homicide gets attached to that arson charge because someone has died in the fire. But investigators wanted to know where did it start, where did it all begin, and what caused it. What was the cause of the fire? Because all of this devastation, 38,000 acres, 10,000 homes evacuated, but it all began with one little spark. And so this is the word picture that the Bible uses to help us understand the power of our words. This image of a word being released carelessly, maybe even unintentionally, but that word creates the spark and the spark turns into this fire that Creates a lot of devastation. So James uses this word picture. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to James 3. If you have a Bible app, turn to James 3. Um, and we're going to look at James 3 and Luke 6. They use some of the same metaphors to help us understand the power of, of words. And, and James is going to use this, this idea of um, a word being a spark that creates a fire. But before he gives us this metaphor, he gives us a, a couple of others. James has just explained to us that our our tongue, our words it's like the bit that goes in the mouth of a horse. And that tiny bit that goes into the mouth of a horse can control that big, powerful animal, right? And our tongue is like that. And James gives us another metaphor. He says, well, your tongue is like a, a, a small rudder that controls a giant ship. And with that small rudder, you can determine the direction of the ship. And James says, oh, that's, that's true for your tongue as well. Your tongue, in so many ways, determines the direction of your life. It's little, but it's powerful. And, and you may not see it, you may not understand it, or may not realize the significance, but James says, this is what is going to determine in so many ways the direction your life go goes. The words you speak to yourself and to others have the power of life and death, and then he gives us this image of a spark that turns into a great fire Luke or excuse me James chapter three, starting in verse five, he says, in the same way in the same way as a bit for a horse as a As a rudder for a ship, in the same way the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. So James is making the point as strongly as he can That our words have weight, that there are significance, there's significance to our speech. Uh, Our tongues have the power of life, but they have the power of death. And with our words, we can set out a spark that lights our whole life on fire. It's, it's a small thing, but it's, it's disproportionately powerful. I, uh, I've read before that the tongue is the strongest muscle in the body, and that's actually not true. The tongue's actually made up—it's uh, kind of a mashup of eight different muscles. But what's interesting or fascinating about the tongue as a as a muscle or as a collection of muscles is that it doesn't get sore. You ever think about that? Like your tongue doesn't get sore. You can talk. We we saw this last week. I mean, we can talk some sixteen thousand words a day, and. We have on average 30 conversations a day. If you take into account things like a text message or meeting somebody in the hallway at work and say oh. about 30 conversations a day. But no matter how much you use your tongue, it doesn't get sore. Uh, this is the third time I've, I've preached uh, this weekend. And by the time I get home, I'm, I'll be hitting 40,000 words. But like, I don't go home like, oh tongue is exhausted like i i don't i don't feel like you know before coming out here i'm not i'm not stretching it out making sure it's ready to go there's something about the tongue as a muscle where it just doesn't get tired it just goes and goes and goes and james says look with each word you speak there's the potential power of life and there's the potential power of death. It can bring about great destruction. Just one word can create a spark that turns into this massive fire. And so if you trace this idea through history, you'll find that a lot of the, um, pain and destruction of war began with words. Someone made a speech and used some careless words or, There were some prideful words or malicious words or hateful words or threatening words, slanderous words, and it, and it escalated. And it turns into a war. But it began with words. Uh, Words are what typically will end marriages. Now you might see kind of the, the marriage on fire. Everything is scorched and it's a mess, but if you trace, if you trace that fire back to its origin, if you look at the fire pattern and you go back to where it started and how it started, you will, more often than not, find that it has to do with words. Maybe words that should have been spoken and were not spoken. Maybe complaining words or critical words or controlling words or cruel words. But some some words that were spoken early on created this spark and the spark took and eventually wiped it out. Wiped out the whole home. It, it almost always goes back to, to words. Words are what can make a workplace toxic. Some of you know this because... It didn't used to be the way it is now, but then someone came in and, and they're just negative and they are complaining and they're gossipy or they're critical and it just changed the whole temperature of the workplace. One person comes in and they just starts spitting fire. Words can turn neighbors into enemies. Words can divide churches. That happens where someone becomes careless with their words and so they gossip or they're, they're critical or they complain and they, create dissension, and with their words, they divide the body of Christ. I I think James talks so much about the power of words because it it was a problem for the church. He was a a church leader in Jerusalem, although the book of James was not written just to Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, It was written to first century Christians, first century churches. Uh, James is probably the earliest of all New Testament uh, letters. And so he's writing this to Christians, and it must have been an issue, because he just comes back to it again and again. He's talking to them about the power of their words. James 1, right at the beginning, he kind of um, summarizes the point that he wants to make. The Living Bible paraphrases it like this. Anyone who says he's a Christian but doesn't control his sharp tongue is just fooling himself, and his religion isn't worth much. NIV says his religion is worthless. If you're saying you're a Christian and yet your faith isn't worth enough to be changing the way you talk, then your faith really isn't worth that much. And James is going to challenge them as Christians to be careful with the words that they speak because it's confusing to people when when people hear you say you're a Christian, that you love God, you love people, and then with that same mouth you curse the people around you. And so James talks about that in chapter 3, towards the end, verse 9. Sometimes it, sometimes the tongue, praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. Sometimes you have the same mouth that praises God. That same mouth turns around and curses people who are made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this isn't right. This, this is not the way it should be. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Verse 12, does a fig tree produce olives or does a grapevine produce figs? No, it's not how it works. You can't draw water from a salty spring. And so James uses again these metaphors, these images, and says, look, if you're, if you are, if you're using these, these words of death, if you are using words to tear down and to destroy, and then in this same time, with that same mouth, you're praising God and worshiping God, you can't do that. It's got to stop. You can't go on trying to pull fresh water and bitter water from the same source. You can't come to church and, and sing worship songs to Jesus, thanking Him for His sacrifice, and then get in the car and with the same mouth be singing along to some songs on the radio that celebrate the very sins that Jesus died for. You can't. You can't do that. You, you, you can't one moment kneel down beside your child's bed to, to pray for them and then in the next moment with the same mouth be filled with rage, yelling, cursing. You, you can't with, with one in one moment come to church and bless people and then with the same mouth turn around and gossip about people. You, you can't do that. You can't come to church and sing praises to God and then with the same mouth curse the church of God. Criticize, complain about what God is doing. You can't, can't do that. And yet, here's what you and I both know: is that that's what we do. This is the frustration of the tongue. In fact, you pick up on this as James talks. He 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 treats the tongue as if it's not part of a of himself. It's not part of us. That's the frustration level. What's wrong with my tongue? I don't know what's wrong with my. tongue. It's not me, but my tongue. And, and he talks about it with this this, um, this level of frustration that I think reveals not only that it was a problem for the early church, which it's addressed again and again in New Testament letters, but that it was a problem for him. I, I think that that's true. And of course it's true to some degree, but I, I get the impression as I read this letter that this is something that he struggled with. That he was frustrated that the, that the tongue has been lit on fire by hell. That's pretty strong language. To me, that's coming from somebody who's really tried and has oftentimes blown it. I don't know if you've had those moments. I'm sure you have. I know I have. Where you say something to someone and then you find yourself, maybe not saying that loud, maybe, but you think to yourself, where did that come from? You ever do that? Somebody pulls out in front of you Traffic. You just unload, and then, like a minute later, you think, "What? Where did that come from?" Or you lose your temper with a coworker, or or with one of your kids, or with a friend, and you you speak sarcastically or harshly, and you think, "Where? Where did that come from?" And and I think James understands the frustration of this. Now, Jesus, if you're in James 3, flip over to Luke 6, because Jesus is going to help us understand where it comes from. So what you have is James talking to us about the power of our words, the power of our tongue, matter of life and death. But Jesus is going to say, yeah, but here's where those words come from. It's not as random as you might think it 's not as unintentional as it seems that those words that tone it 's coming from somewhere, and so Jesus is going to talk to us about this and um, use a little bit of the same metaphorical language Jesus and james of course were half brothers and um, and so Jesus is going to is going to address the source of it uh, in luke six it 's sometimes called the Sermon on the plain it 's has a lot of the same material as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Some people would say it's the same sermon that Jesus was on a mountain and went to a plain level ground. Um, I think more likely it was a similar sermon that Jesus gave in two different times to two different groups of people in two, two different places, right? That some of the same things he'd want to say to the people on the mountain, he needs to say to the people on the plain. But but in this passage of scripture in Luke 6, Jesus has given some commands uh, that are, are pretty difficult, really. So an example of that would be this passage in Luke 6 where he tells us to love our enemies. In verse 28, he says, bless those who curse you. And to pray for those who mistreat you. And I, I'm pretty sure he doesn't mean like sarcastically bless those who curse you. Like bless you. That's not what he means. Like he, he means that you authentically, sincerely, you bless them in your heart. You bless them with your words. You pray for those. You you speak words in your prayers and you pray for people who mistreat you. Well, that's a pretty tough command. Now on down in Luke 6, he he talks about in verse 37... Not judging other people, not having a condemning and critical or self-righteous spirit towards difficult people. That's that's pretty difficult commands. Some hard stuff here. And so then Jesus is going to help us with it in verse 43. He's going to help us understand where these words, whether they're words of life or words of death, where they come from. Verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit. So again, similar metaphor to what James used. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For, here it is, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You're putting the stuff in your heart and in your mind, and then you're surprised that it comes out in your life. You're you're planting these seeds and then you're shocked. When, when that's the fruit that comes to bear, Jesus says you don't think it matters, but it matters. What you put in your heart is what comes out in your life, what comes out in your words. And this is especially a significant point that needs to be made in our Western culture because we are in the, um, at a time when we are overwhelmed with entertainment. As a result, we justify and we um, minimize the impact of that entertainment. So what we do is we constantly will fill our head and our heart, our eyes and our ears with certain things and then tell ourselves, well, that's just entertainment. It doesn't really, doesn't really make any difference. I, look, I don't want to be legalistic and, and this stuff is fine. So, you know, I, I can watch what I want and listen to what I want. I can put whatever I want in my heart and that's not going to come out in my life. I, it's just entertainment, and Jesus is like, mm, no, sorry. That's not how that works. What you put in your heart is going to come out in your life. Now, now for some of us, it's not just what we have put in our heart. It's what other people put in your heart. And you, you didn't choose it, but somebody spoke some words in your heart. and And they planted some seeds. And that's the fruit that began to bear. And now that's... The seed that you're planting in other people's hearts with your words, Jesus says, but it's all coming from the heart. That this matters a lot more than maybe we tend to recognize. That the mouth will bear the fruit that's being planted in the heart. It's one of several places where Jesus makes this connection between heart and mouth. Matthew 12:34, For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Matthew 15:17, The things which proceed out of the heart, or excuse me, out of the mouth, come from the heart. So we say, well, I, I don't know where that came from. I don't know where it came from. Jesus says, uh, I do. I know. That actually came from. That actually came from your heart. You don't see the connection, but the connection is there. And you've been trying to change the words you speak. You've been trying to change the tone that you use for a long time, and you're frustrated because it doesn't seem to take. And you're starting to think, well, maybe I just, maybe I'm just. Not wired that way. And Jesus would say, no, actually, it's, it's in the heart. So James says, look, your words are powerful. The tongue has the power of life and death. Jesus says, yeah, but your words come from your heart. So the question then becomes, what am I putting into my heart? What am I allowing into my heart? Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart because everything flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. It's just, it's flowing from your heart, and of course, in in Hebrew culture, I mean, we understand the metaphor inherently. But in Hebrew culture, um, heart was used metaphorically to talk about kind of the center or the core of the person, the, the the spiritual hub that all the the spokes of life connect to. And so you guard that. Everything flows from it. It's the source that feeds. And so whatever is in you is is what is going to come out of you. So look, with our, our words, we have this power of life and death. And I, I went through and um, tried to identify kind of two categories of words from Scripture. And, um, and and so I have two columns here. On one side, I have just words of death, words that we speak. These are sparks that turn into a fire, word, words of death. And I just want you to think for a moment if, if these words describe the words you speak. So angry words. Complaining, harsh, resentful words, negative words, judgmental words, gossip words, critical words. Uh, would would you say that these words describe the way that, that you talk? So on the other side of this, kind of the opposite of angry words would be gracious words, instead of complaining, uplifting, instead of harsh, tender. Kind words, positive words, compassionate words, words of blessing rather than words of gossip. When you're talking about other people, are you blessing them or does it more fall into the category of gossip? Encouraging words instead of critical words. So which of these columns would you say best describes the way that you talk to people? A couple of things. First, we tend not to be objective about, well, anything as it relates to ourselves, but it's easy for us to say we are what we want to be. And so the question might be better asked of a person you came with that's sitting next to you. Right? And you just want to hope it's one of these people. You like you're, you. just want to hope that your, your person next to you fits in the right column. But but if you ask them, then what would they say? And I, I know probably almost no one will do this. But what if, what if you just gave this list to a, a few friends and family members in your life. And you just said, hey... <clears throat> Uh, don't be scared. <laughs> this isn't a trap. But just circle which word in each row best describes the way I talk and the words that I speak. Would you do that for me? What would they say? What would they say? I, I know that it's not really a question of of what we want. Like, most of us want to be thought of this way. We, we want... This to describe, I don't know anyone who says, you know what I hope, I hope one day when I die, people get up and say that I was angry, complaining, harsh, resentful, negative, judgmental, gossip, and critical. That's, that's the kind of life I want. I don't know of anyone who says that. I mean, we want to be this way, and yet it's a struggle. And maybe some of you, if you're like me, is I, I can I can, I can, can make a case that this is me. I, I can point out the fact that, oh, no, this, this is the way I talk except for one or two people who make me this way, uh, it, it, right? Like, it, it's it's not that I'm this way, it's that you make me this way. It's, that, it's that, that there's somebody in my life that makes me, pulls me to the dark side. And if they do, if they would change, then I I would change. And And so, we want to grow in this, and yet we, most of us are going to struggle in a number of these, and and I think it helps us and to understand this heart connection a little bit more closely. So what I want to do, and you won't have time to write these down, but um, I'll put them up on the website later this week. But um, I, I want us to think about what kind of heart produces these kinds of fruit. Okay. So Jesus says what's in your heart is what comes out of your mouth. So how does that work? Well, let's put it this way, that a heart filled with bitterness will speak angry words. It's not always bitterness. Uh, sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's guilt. But there's almost always some underlying bitterness. A heart filled with bitterness speaks angry words. So when you hear yourself speaking angry words or you hear someone in your life just always seem to be angry, there's some bitterness there. Some, there's some resentment. And yet a heart filled with forgiveness speaks gracious words. And the Bible makes this connection for us over and over again, that it is it is the grace that we have received from God that allows us to be gracious to other people. And so as I fill my heart with the forgiveness I've received, as I fill my heart with the grace that's give, been given me uh, from God through faith in Jesus, then I, I overflow out of that. It starts to flow out of my life. Uh, a heart filled with entitlement speaks complaining words. But a heart filled with gratitude speaks uplifting words. So you see someone who's complaining a lot. There's almost always this entitlement that's happening in their hearts. Where instead of looking at life and feeling gratitude and filling their hearts with thanksgiving, they look at life and they think, I should have that. It's not fair that this person gets this, but I don't get this. And and so their spirit is one of discontentment and entitlement rather than contentment and gratitude. And it comes out in the words that are spoken. A heart filled with guilt tends to speak harsh words. You're filled with guilt and with shame long enough and the walls of your heart go up. You get hard. And as you get hard hearted, your words become harsh, cold. But a heart that's filled with peace gives tender words. A heart filled with rejection speaks resentful words. And some of you have experienced this. Like your heart was rejected. It wasn't your choice. It was something that was done to you. It, words of rejection were spoken into you. And, and you struggle with this resentment. And it just it just comes out in the way you talk. About people in your life. Friends, family. It just, you just have this resentful tone. A heart, though, filled with acceptance speaks kind words. That as you grow in understanding of how God has accepted you through Jesus and that fills your heart it it comes out in kindness a heart filled with grumbling speaks negative words a heart filled with thanksgiving speaks positive words a heart filled with condemnation speaks judgmental words a heart filled with love speaks compassionate words a heart filled with jealousy speaks words of gossip a a heart filled with contentment speaks words of blessing a heart filled with self-righteousness speaks critical words a heart filled with hope speaks encouraging words. And so I, I, I just kind of went through and tried to make this connection for us a little bit more specifically that you, you say, look, I, I don't want to be critical. Now, a lot of people will justify their criticism and say, well, I'm critical. The reason I criticize that person is because I'm trying to help them, right? I figure if I can just tear them down enough, and, and so there's this, there's this Critical justification, but what if instead of being critical, you decided to be encouraging? What would need to change? Is that just being more disciplined? No, it's more than that. It's an issue of the heart. It's what's going into your heart. See, most of us put the attention on behavior modification rather than heart renovation. And there's a place for behavior modification. Scripture talks about plenty about that, right? But if behavior modification doesn't come from heart renovation... It's just a lot of frustration. It does not work. It doesn't work. And, and so Jesus says, it's, it's more about your heart than you think it is. And so, some of you look at those two columns of words and you think, well, yeah, that's just not me. I, I, I want to be more that way. I know some people are that way. And Jesus said, it, it says it's, it's about your heart. I have a friend um, who is a cardiologist. And he was telling me that oftentimes when people have heart problems, they go undiagnosed for years because uh, they don't understand that the symptoms are connected to a cardiovascular issue. So they'll have trouble sleeping, or they'll have uh, uh, pain or vision problems, or the list is quite long. And, and they'll treat those symptoms, but they don't understand it's a problem with their heart. And it's good to treat those symptoms. Behavior modification is not bad. But unless the heart is addressed, it, it, you're only going to get worse. And so what if you decided this week, that you were going to be more intentional at monitoring your heart. You decide you want to be more encouraging and positive as a person. So what do you need to do differently when it comes to your heart? And and maybe you just make some decisions about what goes in there. You want to be more encouraging, you want to be more positive, and you don't see the connection, but maybe there's a connection to your time on Facebook and Instagram, because more and more studies would show that that creates a spirit of discontentment, a spirit of jealousy, a spirit of "I'm missing out," and then that overflows out of our words. We tend to get gossipy, and we tend to be more more jealous. We tend to be more critical, and we're on, we're not we have more of a sense of entitlement. So, what if you said for this week, in the evenings or at night, you're going to just cut that stuff out of your life? You're, you're not going to be on Instagram and Facebook. And I know the first tendency is to think, "I don't think it works that way." Like, I don't think, maybe it affects other people that way, but I don't think it affects me that way. I don't think it's that big of a deal. All right, I'm just saying, try it. I'm just asking you to see if maybe there's more of a connection here than you think. And you want to be a more positive and uplifting person? I would encourage you to, to listen to some worship music as you drive or maybe as you fall asleep at night. And you, you sing those songs some of the same songs that we sing here in church and you sing songs of who God is and what God has done for you and you just fill your heart with that stuff and you see if it doesn't start to overflow into your life, out of your mouth. People will notice it. Here's what's going to happen. You you start doing some of that and you won't you you will even know you've done it but you'll give some words of life to somebody who really needed to hear it from you. Like they're dying right now to hear some of this from you. And, And they'll hear those words from you and they'll say something like, wow, where did that come from? And it, it it overflowed. That's the way it works, and and so I know some of you really need to hear this because you've been battling this for a long time, and you've worked really hard at trying to make changes in behavior modification, and it's time to give some attention to your heart. Some of you really need to hear this, but look, some of the people in your life are desperate for you to hear this. You understand that, like they're they're. Right now they're thinking, I I hope that she's listening right? Are are you're thinking of somebody that you're gonna send this to? Look. If you don't want to do it for you, it's fine. I mean, that's you. But but the words you're speaking into the hearts of other people, I mean, there's there's some sparks. And um, and they're desperate for some life and for some healing. And for their sake, it's, it's time that you try something different here. You, you need to start taking some time to fill your own heart. You need to start being more intentional about guarding it. It, it flows. It, it makes a difference. So I'm asking you to try this. Just see what happens. Ultimately, what Jesus came to earth for, why he died, though, was not to make us good boys and girls who say nice things to each other, right? He died to give us a new heart altogether. He, he died to redeem the scorched earth that has been lit on fire by sin, by some of our own words. He brings it back to life. And he, he wants to do that in your heart. He wants to do that in in your life. And so, um, we want to take a few minutes to surrender our hearts to Him. Let's pray. Uh, God, would you help us in these next few minutes uh, to make a connection that maybe we've missed, that the words we speak and what goes in our heart, those, those things go together. And God, I know for a lot of people in this room, me included, we, we want to grow in this area. We want to do better, but so oftentimes we, We don't really take the time to guard our hearts or be intentional with what gets put in our hearts. I know for a lot of people, some stuff has been put in their hearts. that They don't even want in there, but it got put in there by somebody else. And I would just pray, God, that even in these next few minutes, that the power of your word and your truth would push the darkness out of their hearts that's been spoken into their hearts. I pray God that, that the, the, the scorched parts of their hearts that have been lit on fire by words that other people have spoken, I pray God that you would come in and you would bring new life to those parts of their heart with, with your words and your truth. And God, would you allow this church just to be a place where it just overflows with with grace and truth and kindness and compassion and gentleness and and praise? God, that we would just find that it spills out of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, if you want to, um, if you want to talk to someone about your relationship with Jesus, about uh, getting a new heart, surrendering the old stuff to Him, letting Him make some things new in your life, um, you can come right down front here in just a moment. Or maybe you're ready to become a part of this this church family. We'd love to have you as part of this church as we grow in some of these things together. Again, you can, you can meet me down front over here. Let's stand and let's worship our great God.